Welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship. My name is Kevin Baker, and I'm glad you're with us this week again. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, Easter is right around the corner, and I don't know what your family's traditions are. I can remember as a kid, uh, Easter was the Sunday that we used to get Easter shoes. As a matter of fact, I, I sold shoes, and around Easter time, every family would come in uh, with small kids, and they needed to have Easter shoes because we were going to have Easter outfits, and, uh, and we had special outfits. We got dressed up, and all the kids went to church and looked so sweet, and of course, you know, little dresses for the girls and sometimes little suits or, or sporty outfits for the, the, for the kids, the boys. And um, I, I remember that. And, and yet somehow that's disappeared from our culture, right? Very few families seem to celebrate that kind of tradition. Um, we've got traditional foods uh, that we eat. We typically have uh, Easter dinner together and usually ham on Easter. Um, and so there's all kinds of things, right? Palm Sunday, uh, the Sunday before Easter is when typically palm branches are handed out in the service. And so there's lots of things about church that can bring memories back for me since I grew up in the church uh, of what I miss or what I remember. Uh, and some of it is so good. And some of it, of course, is just, well, that's what we used to do, but we don't do it anymore. Which brings me to the idea of of the commands of God and the traditions of people. One of the things that I've faced over 30-some years in ministry is at times people would come to me and say, why do you invite people to be members of your church? I don't see membership in uh, the New Testament. And they're right. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a legitimate argument. There is no uh, process of membership necessarily in the New Testament for people to join a church. and you. But you can see how this worked, right? In the early church, it was uh, when people were hearing the gospel, it was around families and villages, and, uh, and probably there was only one church in the community to begin with. And so if you wanted to know more about uh, who Jesus was, or if you wanted to affiliate with believers uh, in Jesus, you would go to that place and gather with them uh, probably not in a building, maybe in a home, maybe even outside, possibly in some places in the temple courts. But but the reality is it was a fluid situation. As churches expanded, and of course here in the U.S., as we became sort of a, 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 what many people would say we were a Judeo-Christian nation, right? We, had, we were built on religious uh, freedom and religious principles, and so we We've got churches everywhere, and of course now in our day we've got mosques and synagogues and all sorts of uh, temples and places to worship, but at some point in our culture, and, and still true today, there were churches all over the place. The town that I uh, that Oakdale Church is in, I mean, I don't know if, that I've counted it up, but we probably have, uh, say, 10 churches that within a very brief driving distance you could be at. And so... Now, all of a sudden, there's this, there's this formality that's coming, right? There's, there's suddenly more than just gathering with the people who are, are searching for or following and obeying Jesus. It's now, which church do I want to belong to? And now we keep statistics. You know, one of the, the things that churches keep very uh, clear statistics on or numbers on is how many people are members of the church. And so we need a process and and we wanted to introduce them to why they should join our church as opposed to other churches. Now, all of that to say, I'm really not commenting too much on whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying that 
as ministries have become developed, maybe you could even say more institutionalized, we've developed patterns, and it's possible that these patterns may not always be grounded in God's word. May not. And there's difficulties for all of us to separate out what are just denominational or institutional traditions and what are actually biblical teachings. Jesus had this same thing in Mark chapter 7. The Pharisees watched as his disciples coming out of the marketplace into a meal didn't ceremonially clean themselves. They, they had a, the Pharisees had developed a ritual to make sure that they were not, uh, that they just sort of reminded themselves that, you know, we've been amongst unclean people. And so when they see that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands, Jesus actually kind of, uh, in Mark chapter 7, pushes on them pretty hard. This is what he says in chapter uh, 7 of Mark verse 6. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And then he said this, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. In fact, he didn't drop it. This is, he, Jesus went on and he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Boy, one of the things that I think uh, we've been wrestling with here at Oakdale Church as we think about uh, how to multiply God's kingdom, we think about guerrilla disciple making, where we're, we're planting churches by making disciples. In other words, the whole strategy that we see is instead of starting a church or planting a church somewhere uh, and then hoping that disciples will be made, that we make disciples and they become the church and you're planting churches in that way, doing, I think, more biblically what God invited us to do. But how do we wrestle through what is mere tradition and what is maybe, well, uh, a way that we're getting around the commands of God? One of the things that we talked about uh, as a staff recently was the whole idea of teaching. Because in disciple-making movements, what we're doing is we're getting ordinary people to engage with God's word, to discover for themselves what God's word says. And, and there seems to be, and there, the criticism can be that, well, where's the role of teaching? And as we talked about that, one of the things that we, we talked about was when we hear the word teaching or teacher, we tend, I think here in the West, to think of teaching as really just a lecture format, right? A preacher standing up in front of the congregation and teaching about the Word of God, or a teacher in front of a Bible study class teaching the Word of God. Now, there's a variety of ways that, you know, sometimes you use a whiteboard, maybe you even have a video clip, but for the most part, it is a sort of an expert, someone who's been trained, someone who has, um, our, our hope is, has more knowledge about the Bible, and standing in front of a group of passive listeners often seated in rows, and they're providing teaching. So one of the things that we talked about was, if you look at the models of, of retaining information, that sort of teaching, lecturing, is really the least effective. Standing up in front of a group of people and just telling them 
uh, teaching them as a lecturer is the least effective for retaining the information. Now, I wonder if you know what the most effective is. The most effective is when the kids, the students, I should say, are actually engaged in teaching themselves. In other words, if I teach a class and I say, uh, listen, I'm going to teach you this, and then uh, I'm going to give you a 10-minute lecture on it, but then what you have to do is turn around and teach someone else. We're going we're gonna to practice this, right? We're going to, in fact, maybe you divide the class up and you say, okay, uh, you, you, you have to uh, go in another room and sit and, and have some fun on your cell phones while I teach this half. And then after 10 minutes, th this half is going to come in and they're going to pair up with you and they're going to teach. Now, what research shows is that teaching method is the most effective. In other words, the students that learned it and have to pass it on, because they have to teach it, they will end up retaining up to 90% of the information. Isn't that amazing? And so disciple-making movements have each person beginning right from the very start, before they're even know that they have made a commitment to Jesus as they're discovering God's word. The three principles that we follow is that they read God's word, they obey God's word, and they share God's word. Many people in the church have been in the church for a long time and never really shared what they're learning from the scripture with anyone else. They might say, oh my, I learned something really good. You should listen to this podcast, or I, I learned something really important, or man, this teacher is so good. Let me give you a link to his sermons or her sermons. But very few teach themselves, right? Would, would take the role of, of saying, let me pass on to you what I just discovered, which means that we're really keeping ourselves at a deficit of retention. I know every time I stand up to preach, the preparation that goes into preaching, I know that information after I teach it way better than anybody who sat <clears throat> in, the, in the congregation that day. That's just, that's just the reality, right? I know the information. In fact, it's embarrassing, but at times, right, we, we, uh, I can ask somebody, does anybody remember what the sermon was from last week? And, and often everybody's going, oh man, I don't remember, I don't remember. Maybe one person or two person might remember the title of the sermon or one point out of the sermon. But if every single week that they sat in the room with me teaching or another person teaching, they knew as soon as I'm finished here, I've got to go teach this to someone else. First of all, they would probably pay more attention. And secondly, after they have taught others, that information is going to be locked in them. Because sometimes we think we know something until we try to pass it on. That's why the Apostle Paul, talking to his young preacher friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, said these things that you've heard me say in front of many witnesses, pass on to reliable people who will be able to pass them on as well. You hear what's happening there. That, that there is Paul who is intentionally teaching three to four generations deep. He's saying, Timothy, I'm saying this to you in front of other people so that you can pass it on to other people and you need to teach them with the intentionality that they're gonna teach others because there's where the retention comes. Now, why am I saying all of this? Because in our American church culture, we have 
said that you have to be a gifted teacher trained in seminary and you stand up and teach and we've put ourselves as churchgoers in permanent learner mode. We, there's a very few, right? Well, there's some that would be called to also become preachers. Some might become missionaries. But the average church person sees themselves as I am here just as a learner. And if we're here just as a learner, our retention of the information that God's being is communicating to us is going to be very, very little. We're never going to digest it well until we begin to sit around and say, I've got to pass on everything that I just heard in this message, or at least some of what I just heard, so that I can not only be useful of God in the world around me, but so that I can retain it. Because if I have to get it in my head in a way that I have to explain it, then that means I have to know it better than just sitting and listening to it. One of the things that I've said often uh, about that is my wife, uh, Michelle, will sometimes uh, be talking to me and she'll notice that I look a little distracted and she'll say, are you listening to me? And I'll say, yeah, I'm listening to you. And then she'll say this, tell me what I just said. And I'll go, well, um, because as soon as she asks me to repeat it back, I realize I'm not retaining anything because I'm not really listening. So what we have is a system, a tradition of doing church that is built around a particular style of teaching that worked when you had a lot of illiterate people, right? The majority of folks before the 1400s when the printing press was invented uh, were illiterate and you had a few very educated people. And so the proclamation was often from one educated person to others who were uh, uneducated or unable to, to read. And, and of course, th there was still dialogue. In fact, if you look through the book of Acts at what Paul and others did, often the teaching was more dialogue and discussion than it was just simply lecture. But we in the West have formed ourselves around this idea that I need good teaching. In fact, all of us uh, <clears throat> who are pastors have probably experienced at some point in our ministry, someone leaving our church saying, I need to find better teaching. It, I just need, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, um, I'm not getting fed here with the implication that you're not going deep enough or that you're not teaching the right things or whatever it is. And usually it's not a doctrinal issue. It's just that somehow I'm not being fed. And again, if we keep ourselves as passive listeners then eventually we're going to sit in church long enough to go, I don't know, this just isn't doing it for me. No wonder young people are flocking away from the church. They're really much more ready in ways that we aren't for interactive teaching, for discussion and debate and dialogue. And yet we continue to live out of this tradition. I wonder in the sense, if, if in a sense Jesus isn't saying to us, you know, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God for your own traditions. What we're doing is we're limiting the command of God. We're limiting this role of teaching to one particular style that research, as I said, has shown is the least effective style of communicating for information to be retained. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what are the traditions that I'm living out of that I need to begin to ask myself, God, is this tradition? And traditions, there's nothing wrong with traditions. We humans love traditions. 
We, if we get rid of one tradition, we develop our own tradition. It's just a way of us managing through life and, and getting continuing to do things that become comfortable for us, right? We, we all have comfort zones, and there's nothing wrong with that until our comfort zones keep us from learning. There is a part of us that need to challenge the comfort zones within each one of us so that we can become the people that God created us to be. You know, I, I, as we um, look at the world today and we think about the devastating war that's taking place in Ukraine, it's, it's, it's unfathomable. And, and if you're like me, you feel powerless. We're, we're praying and seeking God's intervention, and yet we see every single day that, that lives are being lost, innocent civilians are being uh, targeted, and, and the loss of life and the devastation in that nation is just, uh, it's horrific. It's heartbreaking. But I, I think we also know something else is going on. What we know in Ukraine is the reason that Russia is having, uh, at least one big reason that Russia is having as much difficulty as they are making advances. I think that, that the world thought that within a, about 10 days, Russia would have taken over the nation's capital in Ukraine. And yet here's what's happened. All of the people of Ukraine have risen up not only the people of Ukraine, of course, but the world, but the people of Ukraine, average ordinary citizens are, are saying, we will defend our land. We are going to engage. The Russian army outnumbers the Ukrainian army, oh my goodness, by huge numbers. The truth is they're undermanned, underfunded, under, I mean, army to army, there's no comparison in terms of Ukraine and Russia, but here's what perhaps Russia didn't count on was a guerrilla army. And what I mean by that is everyday ordinary people saying, I'll fight for this country. What God is inviting us to do today, I believe with all my heart in the church is to begin to understand that he's inviting us to engage with making disciples. It's not just pastors. It can't be just pastors. It can't just be missionaries. It can't just be a gifted few. But if all of us will make ourselves available for the purpose of God to make disciples of all nations, when God, when Jesus looked at those 11 disciples on the Mount in, in Matthew 28, he said, go into all of the world and make disciples of all nations. And he expected, I believe that every single one of them would own that mission, and then every single one of the disciples they made would own that mission. You see, we've got to get out of the tradition that says only pastors and missionaries and special people are disciple makers and remind ourselves that the church as a whole is a disciple-making community. In fact, let me just say this. If you're not actively seeking God's help in making disciples, then the question would be, are you really a disciple? Disciples make disciples. We, we no longer can say, I'm still learning. Because if learning, what you mean by that is we're just sitting in a pew, sitting in a Bible study week after week, trying to get some information and thinking you'll be ready. You'll never be ready. You know how you'll grow and spiritually mature the best? By passing on already what you know, by being used of God 
in the lives of your family and your friends, those who you go to school with, those who you work with, those who you live near, the community and neighbors around you, just by beginning to pass on what you know, how God has changed your life. It's just telling your story. It's being a witness. Not everybody's called to be an evangelist, but every single follower of Jesus is called to give witness to what God has done in their life. And as you and I, ordinary followers of Jesus, begin to say, God, use me. I'm going to share what I'm reading in God's word with someone. I'm going to pray for my neighbors. I'm going to actively, I'm going to develop a prayer calendar so that I can be praying for people and they'll begin. I'm going to work on ways that I can open up spiritual conversations and see how I can take a conversation from casual to meaningful to spiritual to even maybe discovering what God's word has to say. I'm going to make myself available for God. I'm going to become not just a learner, but I'm going to become a teacher and trainer myself because the best way for each of us to learn is to teach someone and to train someone. I hope you'll pray about that this week. I hope you'll actually make a commitment to this this week, not just listen to this. My, my, I was praying about this this morning and I thought, well, here I am speaking to you through this uh, wonderful mechanism of a podcast. And yet, what am I doing? I'm just passing information on to you. Who are you passing this on to? You don't need to give me any credit. You don't need to direct them to this podcast. If you are finding truth in this, then begin, I, I just pray, you'll begin to live it out in some way this week. One step, make one step of a commitment this week. I will do this. And then who can you share something with? Who can you begin a conversation with? Who can you begin to pray for that doesn't yet know the Lord? And tell them you're praying for them. Ask them how you can pray for them and see what God might do. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. As always, if you have information or questions or any way we can give resources to you, just email me at kbaker at oakdale.church. Thanks for being a part of the Guerrilla Discipleship family, and we'll talk again next week.